If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one of a kind body conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool to the touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in store or online at Ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everybody, it's Megan Kelly and welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today, Mark Cuban. He's a billionaire, self-made guy, made his money in the tech industry and now owns the Dallas Mavericks. He's outspoken on virtually all issues and you'll hear some of that today. It got tense at times. It was a tough interview, but I think it was fair and I give him a lot of credit for engaging because most guys in his position, certainly in the NBA, would never have deigned to take the time. So my hat is off to him. Keep that in mind as you hear how this went. But first, let me tell you about Legacy Box. Do you have a bunch of old pictures sitting around your house or old VHS tapes like me if you were born back in the 1970s or 80s uh, and you want to look at that stuff? There's a reason you kept it, but you can't right? Because no one's got a VHS player anymore. No one looks at photo albums anymore. Uh, Well, that's where Legacy Box comes in. This is an ingenious mail-in service that will help you get all those irreplaceable moments converted to DVD or digital. You know how you feel when you watch your home movies, you get transported back to your great childhood memories, or maybe even your wedding. But when was the last time you actually watched yours, right? I I loved being able to send in my old family stuff. I took my husband's slides from his family trips and getting them back in digital form makes it possible that you actually look at them and my kids could look at them and it's super easy from start to finish. You just pack up the stuff, you send it, their team will digitize it by hand and then you enjoy. These guys are the largest digitizer of home movies and photos. You can trust them. Over 850,000 families have done so. And they've got a team of over 200 trained technicians who will help you and do all this by hand. So Legacy Box is the name of the company. They will help bring new life to your old media by unlocking those trapped family memories and putting them in a modern digital format that's easy to use. Go to LegacyBox.com MK to get an incredible 40% off your first order. And if you buy today and take advantage of this exclusive offer, uh, you're going to get a great, great deal. Uh, you'll get the, the box, you send it in when you're ready, and you go to LegacyBox.com slash MK to save 40% while supplies last. Mark Cuban, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Megan. All right, so how does a middle-class kid from Pittsburgh wind up with $4 billion? Um, a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. Um, you know, I, I started off as that kid in, in school growing up in um, Scott Township initially, that just had every little side hustle that you ever could imagine from selling baseball cards um, to my friends, to um, selling garbage bags, to hustling candy, to buying and selling stamps at collector shows. You name it. If there is a hustle, I did it. So you were the kid who was mowing everybody's lawn and delivering the newspapers and always came home from the fair with change in your pocket. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I wasn't a lawnmower but I was a driveway shoveler. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. My, um, my Nana used to give my brother, my sister and me five bucks each to go down to the little carnival down the road. Cause we would spend August with her in the summers in, uh, just North of New York city. And she used to say, uh, Megan would come home with just the $5 gone. Wouldn't want any more. Your sister would come back asking for change after two minutes and your brother would come home with change in his pockets. You know, like my, so my sister needed more money. My brother always had change. And I wound up breaking even. And honestly, that's how we wound up to this day. You you know, that's how you learn, right? That's where you develop all your initial habits. You know, I try to tell my kids how you do anything is how you do everything. 
you know, and it's really important to get good habits that can lead to success as you get older. It's really true. Was there a pivotal moment when you were a little kid that that drove you to be this successful, this this much, this determined? I don't know if there was anyone. I think it's just how my parents raised me. I mean, my dad did upholstery on cars and, you know, always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but never could quite get there. Never had a college degree. My mom, you know, did odd jobs, never went to college. Um, and so they always did push me, but really supported me and encouraged me to try anything. I remember I would um, buy and sell stamps. And one time I wanted to go to New York and my dad had to take me, right? Because I was 15, 16 years old. And um, he was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I would take him around. And what I would do is at these stamp shows, I would go to from one stamp collector's booth to another where they would have um, a dealer who would be selling these different stamps. And I would look for the inefficiencies. So how one stamp dealer would gauge a stamp or rate a stamp would be different than another one would. So I'd buy one that I thought was undervalued and go to the next booth and sell it to somebody who I thought would value it higher. And my dad was like, I have no clue what I just saw, but you made money, so keep doing it. And so I think I realized then that um, I was going to have to make this on my own and I was going to have to figure it out on my own and that I had the, the ability to do it. You were kind of, you were a little nerd who went on to become king nerd. Uh, yeah, I wasn't so little, but yeah, I was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because when I see somebody like you who's got as much success in their back pocket as you do, I always think, oh, God, they probably went to Harvard or Yale or Stanford. No. And, you know, like None of us can get into those schools without lifetime family connections and so on. And then it turns out you went to Indiana, which I, I yeah. love that. So, yeah, and I went you know, to Indiana. I, for all the go people ahead. who are feeling bad about themselves right now because they, they didn't go to these top-tier schools or the parents who are worried their kids aren't going to get into them, what do they need to know about going to a school like Indiana? I mean, look, it, you know, I went to IU, um, which is, ends up being one of the best decisions I've ever made because I saw a list of the top 10 business schools and I picked out the cheapest one. And I'd never been to the campus and that's how I picked Indiana. Um, and in terms of what people need to know, it's, it's less the school that you go to and more of the effort that you make. To, to me, I learned, I picked up so much knowledge about business because I was really geared towards taking business classes and challenging myself. So I would say, you know, don't worry about the school you go to. Make it one that you can afford. You don't want to saddle yourself with a ton of debt these days. And two, when you get there, you know you don't have to know exactly what you're going to be when you grow up. Try to challenge yourself and take as many different types of classes because you know I ended up being a tech guy and I took one technology class in college and you know I didn't really come to understand that I, I had a good aptitude for tech till after college. But what I really did pick up is all the language of business, accounting, and marketing, and finance, and sales. And I think even more importantly, Megan, I learned how to learn. You know, the only constant is change. And so I think Indiana really gave me a toolkit to say, you know, new things are always going to be coming at me. And I learned how to learn new things. And I learned that, you know, putting an effort in to read and absorb information however I could was really gave me a competitive advantage. And those are the skills I think you should look for. And none of that really uh, applies to which school you select. So in a nutshell, what is the business what does the business do that you sold for all that money? Oh okay, so the the so I, I first let me take a step back. My first job out of college um, when I got down to well actually my first job in Dallas when I came down here, um, I got a job as a bartender at night. I was living six guys in a three bedroom apartment and then got a job during the day selling software. And that's really what got me into computers and technology. And so I was there for like 9 months before I got fired. And then I started a company called Microsolutions where I just said, you know what? Nobody really knows all this new computer stuff. If I teach myself, then I'm going to have an edge. And I went and found a customer who would put the money up front for a software package they wanted to buy. Told them if it didn't work, I would walk their dog, you know, clean their floors, you know, whatever it took to make them happy. Um, and then built that up to um, a company, built that up to about 30 million in sales and 80 employees. And we sold it to H&R Block when I was about, 30. And then I took a couple years off. And in 1994, early 95, a buddy of mine from Indiana, Todd Wagner, came to me and said, you know, there's this new internet thing and you're the technology and networking geek. There's got to be a way that we can use this internet thing to listen to Indiana sports over the internet. And I'm like, okay, let me see if we can make this work. And the first thing I did was look to see if there was anybody else doing anything like that. And the answer was no. There were some academic things going on, but no businesses. 
And so I bought a Packard Bell computer, set it up in the second bedroom of my house and try, you know, learn how to do elect, um, internet broadcasting is what we called it at the time. And we started a company called AudioNet. We built that up um, to where we had, I don't know, a hundred radio stations and thousands of broadcasts on there. And then we changed it to broadcast.com and added video. 1998, we went public and effectively we were the YouTube of the early internet. I mean, we just dominated streaming. We went public in 1998, July. And it was the, the um, biggest IPO in the history of the stock market at the time. And then a year later, we sold to Yahoo for $5.7 billion in stock. How, how old were you then? Um, I was just turned 40. Wow. So I take that back, about to turn 40. So I heard you tell the story about when you saw the stock go up and you realized you, you were making $6 billion and that you, were, you didn't have any clothes on. You were sitting in a, <laughs> in a seat looking at your computer. <laughs> Kind of like I am right now. No, just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, right. See, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to hang loose. Um, <laughs> so so what, uh, what I was just wondering, like, what, you know, when you I realize it's stock and so but like, I was, you know, when you get when you get that money, at some point, you actually get that money. And like, is that like direct deposit? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get well, so that money? So what happened was, you know, I had been after I sold my first company, Microsolutions, I had traded stocks and did really well. And that helped me, allowed me to finance AudioNetBroadcast.com um, and own enough to really do well when we sold it. And, and so when we got it, we, we got stock. And so what happens was they literally you know, put you know, 1.9 million shares. I forget the number of shares that we got, 19 million or something like that, um, shares of, of Yahoo stock. But because I had traded stocks before, I knew that there was risk to the internet bubble, you know, that these stocks were not going to go up forever. And honestly, I already I had a B next to my name at that point and thought to myself, how much more did I need? So I did something called a caller where I sold calls and bought puts to protect my downside. And that's how I ended up converting all that stock into cash. And as it turns out, when the internet stock market crashed, it, you know, I was protected. And a lot of our employees, you know, when we had 330 employees when we sold and 300 of them became paper millionaires. And we got, we convinced a lot of them to hedge like I did and they protected themselves as well. But at that point in time, once we collared it, which, and, it, and by the way, it ended up being called one of the top 10 trades on wall street of all time. But when I collared it and as those collars, um, bled off, that's how I got cash in, in my account. So it wasn't okay, just like I, one big I understood like every third sentence hey, yeah, of sorry, what you guys. just said, but yeah, I, I get the basic message. I get that you hedged. And so you protected yeah, yourself and your employees exactly. so that when the, when the bubble burst, you guys all were still in the black. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask you as somebody who came from, you know, middle-class background and winds up, as you say, with the B after your name, was, is there any downside to having all that dough? No, <laughs> absolutely nothing not. at all. Here's what I thought no. you would say, having to wonder whether people coming into your life after you've got the B after your name are sincerely interested in you, the, the man. Yeah, but you know what? There's hassles in life, no matter how much money you have. You know, um, the friends I have now are my friends from high school and college and my rugby team and, you know, guys, you know, my roommates from Dallas, when I first got to Dallas, they're all still my, my good friends. And yeah, I've added some friends along the way, but, you know, I, I wasn't looking for new friends. <laughs> so what about like, women? Like when, when you were dating, I know you're oh, married yeah, now, but when different. you were dating, did you worry about that? Not so much worry because it was pretty obvious, obvious. You know, when you start to date somebody or go out with somebody and the first two things they said, it was, you know, I, you know, I really love to just do charity work and travel. Um, those are kind of my, my life goals. You kind of knew, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a good friend uh, who I used to work at the Jones day and, and she was this like hard ass lawyer. She was great. Uh, and went to great schools and all this stuff. And she fell in love with a guy who also worked at Jones Day. And he was also super brilliant. The, on their first date, they'd been sort of eyeballing each other for a while. And they go out to dinner on their first date. And they're hitting it off. They're both having a great time. And she says to him at one point during the dinner, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom. And if you're still here when I get back, I'll know that none of the three things I'm about to tell you are deal breakers. And if you're gone, no harm done. We can stay friends. The three things are, I smoke. I'm going to quit, but right now I'm still struggling with it and I smoke. The second thing is I have terrible credit. I'm going to fix it, but I it's not that I don't pay my bills. She said it's just I pay them more on like a quarterly basis. 
She said, the third thing is, I know you know me as this high-powered lawyer at Jones Day, but what I really want to do is be a stay-at-home mom. And she got up. She went to the restroom. She came back. He was still there. They've been married ever since. They have two daughters. That's awesome. Right? I love that. What a great story. That's like owning owning who you are and and what perceptions are of you. Just sort of disabusing them up front. Exactly right. I mean, and you got to be honest, Em. You know, and during that dating period, um, I did a lot more having fun than than truly dating. Um, but you what know, does when that I mean? Was that a euphemism yeah. for action? Well, yeah, it just meant that I didn't have a lot of long term girlfriends in that in between period. <laughs> oh, um, <bad>. <laughs> but <laughs> when I went, met my wife, I was playing basketball at the gym, and and she was on the bike, and one of my basketball buddies dated her sister, and he was like, "You see that girl there? You you want to meet her?" I'm like. Hell yeah. <laughs> and we've been together pretty much ever since with a, with a couple of breaks in there, but been married 18 years, three weeks ago. Oh, that's great. So yeah, I got really lucky. Do you worry about, I know you do because everybody who makes that kind of dough does, uh, even I, I'm nowhere near your level, but even just having achieved success in my own life, coming from a middle-class background, I worry about it. Raising kids who are entitled, you know, who, oh, yeah. who don't After have to drive help. to work hard. Yeah. After their health, that is the first and foremost thing that scares the hell out of me. Literally, Megan, it's something I think about every day, something my wife and I talk about all the time, you know, and it's something I talk to them about. I mean, now they're 11, 14 and 17. My youngest son, Jake, middle Alyssa and oldest is Alexis. And, you know, with kids, they all have their own unique personality. So you have to kind of tailor the message to each one of them. But I make it really clear that th- there's no money train coming for them. They're going to have to to make their own way and, and figure out how to earn a living um, that I'd never let them fail, you know, so that they really, you know, couldn't, so they, they had bad struggles, but I was going to allow them to struggle. If you know, if, if that makes sense. Well, um, how do you do that though? Right. Because I think about it now, I never had a desire just to be rich. I just wanted to work hard and, and be successful. That was the drive I had and, and it worked for me, but I, I don't know. I look around, I say to the kids, you know, you, you like the way we live, you better work hard. Cause you know, yep. I always say that my kids will say, are we rich? And I'll say, dad and I are doing just fine. You got nothing. <laughs> yes, I say the same thing. I right. But the like thing, right? the truth is I will leave them something. I, I, right. I don't want them to ha- to not have anything. And I don't know about these billionaires like Bill Gates who are like, I'm giving it all away. My kids are getting nothing. That seems weird to me too. So I take I, I take a little bit different approach than those guys. One, because, you know, as I said, I'm most concerned about their health. And so I really try to keep a decent amount of liquidity just in case, God forbid, you know, knock on wood, something goes wrong with their health and you have to step in and it's something unique and there's not a readily available treatment. Then that's when it's got to be all guns blazing. And so that's kind of my save for a rainy day as it applies to their health. Um, after that, it's just trying to connect with them and set an example. You know, particularly how, how I try to treat people when we go out and, you know, they see me interact and always being nice, always being um, cordial, always being respectful. You know, they, they see me pick on, you know, the president and politicians and referees at Mavs games. And we have discussions about that. But generally, you know, I, I really try to set an example and really communicate to them that, you know, your education and how you do to school is going to be the door opener because each of you are different. And if you want to blaze your own path, you're going to have to, you know, set your own goals and do your best to achieve them. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're setting a good example. And by the way, you're allowed to rip on all those people. They're in the arena. <laughs> you put yourself in the arena, you know, you're going to take a punch. Exactly. Here and there. Yeah. So including you, me, right? I got to take the punches too. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you wind up buying the Dallas Mavericks and I warn you up front, I know very little about sports. I only know sports to the extent they, they veer over into my news lane. So you buy this basketball team. Why? Uh-huh. Um, my wife and I used to, were season ticket holders and we used to go to every game and they were awful. You didn't um, like your seats? I, yeah. Well, no, my seats were fine. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, and I was right after we sold the, um, broadcast.com to Yahoo, I was at the opening night of the 99, 2000 season. It wasn't a sellout. I mean, it's opening night. We're undefeated. I was excited, but didn't seem like there was any energy in the arena. And I thought, you know, I, I could do such a better job than this. And then, it finally dawned on me that, hey, I can afford to put my money where my mouth is. And so I reached out to a former player, Mark McGuire, who knew the then owner, Russ Bro Jr. They connected us and or he connected us. And, you know, it took just a few weeks and the deal got done. And so, you know, from initial thought around November 1st, we closed the deal January 4th or January 8th or something right around there. 
What and do I you just, love you know, about it? I, I love, I mean, I'm a basketball junkie. And so there's a couple things I love. One, you know, I learned very quickly that I may be responsible for the finances, but all of North Texas truly owns the Dallas Mavericks. It's so different than any other industry. You know, any other business I've ever been involved with, I never got requests, you know, hey, my son has cancer. Can you get a player to come visit us or call us or talk to us? Or will you come visit? You know, or, you know, unfortunately, my, my son or daughter passed away from cancer. Would you mind um, if, you know, Luka Doncic signed a jersey so we can bury him um, in it because he was his favorite player? Just heartbreaking things like that that you don't see in any other industry. So that connection to community is first and foremost. And, you know, just the, the challenge of it all. There's every season, there's, you know, 30 teams, 29 losers and one winner. And I've only been that, you know, walk away final winner one time. So, you know, it, I love the challenge of it. And I love the, the basketball side of it. I mean, I get to go to basically my own arena before a home game and get out there and shoot baskets. Wow. And to me, as a basketball junkie growing up, that's one of the coolest things ever. And that's really how I clear my head. Like even today, I, you know, I can go down to the practice court and if I'm stressed about something or want to just clear my head or think about something, I'll just get up shots. I'll get up there and shoot baskets. Have you ever heard of POM Industries, P-O-M? It stands for peace of mind. And that is the business that they are in. It's the next generation of pepper spray that will be there for you when you need it. You know, not everybody wants to carry a gun for personal defense. And I know most of my girlfriends, they want something small that's going to fit into their purse that they don't have to worry about. And this is that product or guys you can put in your pants pocket. It's intuitive. It has an easy to use design and it's a self-defense product that's good looking and discreet. The, the guys behind this, Palm Industries, they believe that the face of self-defense in America should not be daunting. So their product and their philosophy reflects an emphasis on you empowered to live your life with peace of mind. This is the strongest and safest formulation that's legal to carry in all 50 states. Uh, it's pressurized to provide a maximum distance of up to 12 feet and 12 seconds of continuous spray. You can get them in all sorts of colors. You can get them clip form, key form, uh, snap form, so you can hang them around a lanyard. Uh, and it's basically something that's going to make you feel better when you're walking along the streets in these days and age when day, day and age, when it's just getting more and more dangerous out there. I mean, it's here in New York, this couldn't have come at a better time for me. I'll tell you that. So check it out. It's available for, for purchase at palm, P-O-M, pepperspray.com, amazon.com, selected gun shops, pharmacies, and retail stores throughout the country. Palm pepper spray. And now back to Mark Cuban. My husband put on The Last Dance, you know, the documentary uh -huh. about Michael Jordan, and, and we watched that. And I loved Michael Jordan. I lived in Chicago during the, of course. the a lot yeah. of those Bulls years, so I saw that team play and wound up getting to know De Dennis Rodman a little bit later in life, which is a he whole was, other he story. He was my roommate for a little bit, which is another story. No, he story. was not. Yes, he was. When I How'd bought that happen? When I bought the Mavs my first year, we hadn't been to the playoffs in 10 years and had a, uh, or 16 years and had a losing record for like the last 10 or something like that. And I was trying to do anything to win. And so we signed him for what ended up being a total of 12 days. And um, because he had had a suspended driver's license, he couldn't drive. And so I put him in the guest house in my house until the NBA um, told me that it was against the rules and he couldn't right. do it. So D-Rod and I have, have been friends ever since. He's he's such an interesting guy. I asked yes, him, he is. you know, like, how many times have you been arrested? It was like over 80 and I'm like, okay, okay. And, uh, but he's, he's kind of a sweet soul and also yep. the Henry Kissinger of our time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. You know, instead of ping pong diplomacy, you know, you got North Korean basketball diplomacy, but yeah, D-Rod's got thought, a great heart. Right. Who oh, would have thought Dennis Rodman could be a critical player in, in forging maybe a better relationship between the United States and North Korea? Nobody. <laughs> yeah, nobody. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. But you're right. He's he's got a great heart, and I really like Dennis. Well, so I loved Michael Jordan, like like everyone uh -huh. in the world, uh, and I loved that that the Last Dance. I thought it was so well done, and and he was so interesting. But I, I wanted to ask you because one of the things they highlight in that documentary is that he never got political, even though there was mm -hmm. pressure to do so, mm -hmm. and he just thought, I'm not going to do that because I know my fans might might not agree with me on whatever issue you want me to push or yep, whatever Republicans candidate buy, you want me yeah, to take. Republicans buy sneakers too. Yep. Yeah. Republicans buy sneakers too. Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I like that because politics is just taken over. It's like, you can't turn on the Emmys or the Oscars or the sports games. It's like, it's everywhere. And as you know, 
it's it's so ubiquitous just in the news. It's really just hard to escape it now. And that's not the way the NBA is going. It seems nope. like it's gotten very political. But what from what I've seen again, and I'm sort of outside your lane, but there's the big BLM uh, logo mm-hmm. on the basketball court down there for the finals. And the, the guys are wearing social justice messages on their jerseys. And they've been having some protests like the night Jacob Blake got shot. They they didn't play. Uh-huh. And and so what do you think? I mean, do you think that it's appropriate to take a side on issues that are so charged? Well, well, first, let's go back. Right. Let's go back to Michael Jordan's era. Just because Michael wasn't a participant didn't mean that players weren't activists back then as well. Right. I mean, going but not back to, to the extent we see now. Well, I, I just think, remember, there's a different media environment. There's, there's a huge difference between media availability and the Michael Jordan days. That was just the beginning of cable. Fox News for, only existed for half of Michael's career, right? The, the last three years of Michael's career. There was no social media. The internet was in its infancy. So there really weren't the mechanisms to, to really convey to people messages. You know, you had to go through all the gatekeepers. So it wasn't that players weren't active. They, they were in their own ways, um, but now we're in a different social media environment and things progress. You know, politics and sports have always gone together. You know, Muhammad Ali was a champion of the world when he was Cassius Clay. And then, you know, he was ostracized when he became Muhammad Ali and he was not even allowed to fight because, you know, he did not want to go to Vietnam and he had a lot of commentary there. So, you know, we can go to the Olympics, 1980, when we withdrew from, from the Olympics. So, you know, while I get your point, I, I don't agree that sports and um, politics have been disassociated and this is something new. It's certainly not. Now that's Not said, on the court, though. Not on the court. I mean, listen, I'm close well, enough, related close enough to remember there was never a huge logo on a divisive issue on the basketball court during the finals. Okay, well, I mean, let's talk about that. So let's it, talk, you, you wear a pink ribbon to support breast cancer. That's one thing. Putting BLM in the middle of the court when it's not supported by virtually any Republican in the country. It's down, less than 20% okay, well, of Republicans that, support the group. That's a different group. topic. So that's a different. So, okay. So first there, when you said the group, what group are you talking about? Black Lives Matter, capital B, capital L, capital No, L. okay. But, but who is that group? Because it it's is not a, a group. It's a group it's a founded movement. by Marxists who no. want to dismantle no, the nuclear family and defund the police. No, first, that's incorrect. So first of all. No, it's 100% um, correct. Okay. So let's go there. Okay. So first of all, let's talk in terms of who we support. There's blacklivesmatter.com. And that's where you go to get the information about the organization. Those are the people who started the hashtag. That's all they did. If we were supporting BlackLivesMatter.com, don't you think, Megan, we would have been smart enough to put the .com on the court along with Black Lives Matter? Come on. You're, now you're splitting hairs. I no, mean, I'm not. When, I'm not. No. So let's go. No, so what BLM not. are you supporting? We're supporting the movement. It, it's really a, a distributed movement across the country to, to try to end racism to bring awareness to social justice issues. And if you, and I've done this, right? Talk to people who go that are at Black Lives Matters rallies and ask them who the three founders are. They don't have any idea. And if we were supportive of those three founders, don't you think we would have had one of them on an NBA Mark, broadcast to talk you know, about? You know as Megan, well as I do that the main question. takeaway on BLM, the main push, this is what they say their single issue, their biggest issue is whenever you see a representative from the group, an organizer, people who go to the protests, it's one thing, defund the police. No, that's crazy. Okay, so that's- It's that's not crazy. Wrong. Trust me, it I've been following crazy. every, every so news cycle been, on this. I've marched with them. I, yeah, but see, that's the whole thing, Megan. You just answered the question. You're following the news cycles, right? And where you get your source of news determines, you know, pretty much the perspective that people are going to have on this. I can tell you from being in NBA meetings, right? I can tell you from being part of the discussions. I can tell you from talking to players. So when I speak, I'm speaking for the NBA as an owner, you know, and so I can tell you, it's been very clear that we're supportive of the movement. We're supportive of of, um, trying to end racism. We're supportive of police reform. But you've never, ever heard us talk about Marxism. No. Uh, okay, fine. You don't need to endorse Marxism. But Mark, to pretend, but to pretend that Black Lives Matter, dot com or otherwise, is not about defunding the police is to be dishonest. 
It no, is. It is about defense. No, it absolutely not. is. Megan, and and the Megan, basketball players me, who have like spoken about this have made clear that they support that. I mean, they, they've talked about how they want to defund and dismantle the police force. Individual which is, players can have their opinion, right? And that's fine, right? But me, as a governor in the NBA, and having been in all those meetings, I can tell you that while we are interested in police reform, yes, and we have had discussions about police reform, yes, we have never talked about defunding the police, defunding the police, and they're okay, they are an extreme BLM different has. ends. But well, BLM, BLM hasn't devotes itself to it. No, you're you're wrong, Megan, because BLM the hashtag, BLM the hashtag, the founders is completely different than BLM the movement. Mark, and people, it, you know, people we, don't understand this distinction you're trying to well, make. That, that, again, they you're don't right. know, they, not, that's why they so find this logo issue. alienating. It's not that I'm they not don't support lowercase BLM. It's that what this group has become with the protests in the streets that have turned into riots, with bothering people at their dinner tables, making them raise a fist and say Black Lives Matter, and with this push to defund the police, which has already worked in some cities. In New York, they took a billion bucks away from the police force to the detriment of the inner city, to the women and the children and the men who are who are in the inner city. Okay, so now we're talking really about controversial. different. Now, okay, I agree with controversial, right? So first of all, you know, when we talk about defunding the police, that's one extreme. Disrupting the police is a completely, and trying to reform the police is a completely different issue. Okay, so, well, I mean, so that's Now one. you're going to have to put footnotes on the BLM on your no, court. See footnote but, 47 for exactly which no, BLM that, which we support. Leads to issue number two. So you're raising a very good issue that in terms of controlling the narrative, it's been awful. And the reason it's been awful is because there is no leadership. There is no one speaking for BLM. And this is a conversation well, I've true. had with our player. There is true. Because the, people the, the that co-founder seen, of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, was was on TV and has openly said, and I quote, we should abolish law enforcement. Where <laughs> was she on TV and when, Megan? How many times? She's been out there a few times. And her co-founder has said the same. And, and half the organizers and of the those, group go on television and, most and say often the same. When you see, when most of the time when you see those, it's the same interview from 2015 or 2016 that's being rebroadcast. No, they're, I'm they're not. They're not hiding this goal, Mark. I mean, the the no, city of Minneapolis voted to founders, defund the the police, and now they've already regretted it and backtracked on it. Okay, so what I'm telling you is, in terms of the NBA's involvement, right? Whatever the founders of the hashtag, and again, you have to distinguish between the hashtag and the movement. And to you, it may be a distinction without a difference. But I'm telling you, to the people who are marching and the people that are involved in the NBA, it's not. According to Gallup, in the latest poll, 81 percent of black Americans want the same or more police in their neighborhoods. You're that conflating poll was two taken different a month things. ago. You're conflating two different things, Megan. You're talking about defunding the police and do they want more police support? That's completely different than how the players responded to the Jacob Blake shooting. No, completely no, I understand. Different. I understand the point you're making, but what I'm trying to tell you is that 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 people have been fed a media narrative about police hunting black men. That is a lie. (laughs) Okay, so maybe they have. Okay, so maybe there's a media narrative. Okay, depending on where you get your media. But when I sit and I talk to African-American males in particular, right, and I didn't have this understanding until I sat and talked to our players and their families and other people around them. Right. And, you know. They, they said, Mark, you know, you have a daughter about that just started driving at the time. Did you have to have the talk with them? And I'm like, what's the talk? And the, they start to tell you about, well, one, here's what you have to do if you get pulled over by the police. You Don't never assume, told your son to obey when pulled over by cops? No, that's not it. That's you're not letting me finish. That's obvious. <clears throat> of course, you, they tell him to do everything that he's supposed to do, but also when you get pulled over, make sure you pull over in a lighted area if you at all can. If you have somebody else in the car with the phone, make sure they're videotaping it if you at all can. If you can call somebody so people can listen in to what's going on, please do if you all can. If you can automate something on your phone to do a quick dial to make all this happen, please do if you can. That's part one. Part two, when you go into a retail establishment, don't be surprised if people start eyeballing you and following you simply because you're black. You could be dressed the exact same way as a white individual walking down the same aisle, and there's still a greater chance that they're going to watch you, and you just have to be able to deal with it and not get mad. If you're running in a neighborhood, please do have somebody with you, because when people see a black male running through a neighborhood, they get concerned, and there's a good chance you're going to have the police called on you. So don't be surprised. So you're better off running or jogging 
or walking or walking your dog with another person because you are at risk. Mark, have you ever had to have those convers- these conversations with your children? The answer is no. And that's the difference. And so when they see Jacob Blake shot, they're not looking to make Jacob Blake a martyr. Jacob Blake just happened to be the person that was just one more brick in the wall that just cemented where the African-Americans feel that they are. That's the problem. That's why well, I support it. That's why the NBA I understand. And, and, and the points you're making, I don't dispute any of those. I, I think you can argue about whether, I mean, young women also get followed around stores of a lot because of course. we're the ones who, who are likely to steal. I mean, they think young women who can't afford the dresses are going to take them and shove them in their purse. So it doesn't just happen based on skin color. But yeah. I, I'm not disputing that. But, but what's been force fed to the American public is a lie that, that cops are hunting black men. More with Mark Cuban in a minute. But first, did you know that the average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score and they have no idea how to get them? That's where ScoreMaster comes in. It is the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. Forget raising your credit score just a few points. That's weak. The average ScoreMaster user will raise their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. 61 points. Whether you have a good credit score or not so good credit score, they can help you. Let's say you were in the mid 600s when you bought your new car. If you'd gone to ScoreMaster first and raised your credit score just the average of 61 points, you could have saved 9,000 bucks on your car loan. Same thing with a home loan. If you got just the average of 61 points increase, you could have saved almost 100000 bucks over the life of your home loan. So it's totally worth it, whether your credit's good, bad, or something else. Uh, if you own a business, you know how essential great credit is, and they can help you too. ScoreMaster puts you in control of your finances, not the banks. You can enroll in minutes and see how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash MK, scoremaster.com slash MK. And now back to Mark Cuban. Your audience is fleeing. They they object to the politicization of their game. And the you guys have suffered, have you not? I mean, the, the ratings, what so I Megan, saw okay, is that so the first, finals are underway. All the things, all low, the let me just finish just, the question. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Lowest finals opener ever. Game two, another new low. Game three, down an unprecedented 58% since last year. This is during a marquee matchup, right? The Lakers and the Heat. I know enough to know that they were huge. And last year, they had some team from Canada. And that matchup was crushing what we're seeing this year. And the sports analysts say, this is a disaster. It's an unprecedented viewership collapse for you guys. So first, okay, my turn. Okay, so first, I really love this conversation. I love going back and forth like this. So I don't want any of this to be anything but total respect. And I'm really Same. enjoying this. Okay. Same, I appreciate so, that. Okay, so number one, who are the, when you talk about, you're, you're putting these things out, after just having said how bad the media was by using extreme examples and picking sources that may not be reflective of the reality. So you're just what you just said was wrong in terms of crime. You're doing the exact same thing with this. So I just want to make this point. So well, when I'm you asking say you a the expert, I'm, 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 I know, I'm, I know, but, I'm but telling you, this is the accusation that your ratings are down because you're right, too political. Right. And this that, is the accusation, respond. but you're not saying but who's making the accusation because well, the, I that last that, line of disaster I got from Clay Travis of Outkick. Of course you did, right? Now what is Trey? <laughs> the, but, but the, the numbers are what the numbers are, Mark. The numbers are what the numbers yes, are. I mean, no, was it not yes the lowest no, finals right? opener ever? Yes. And yes. it was the, a but, new low for game two and so an that, unprecedented low for game three. I'm going to tell you a quick story. So there's, there's this old um, probability thing where people, people use this example of during World War II, they brought in this statistical analysis guy to help them reduce the number of planes that were shot down. And so what he did was look at all the planes that returned from flying over the Pacific and looked at all those who had been shot. And all the people in the military said, look, all the, all the planes that were shot returned, all the bullet holes are right here. So we've got to make that area where the bullet holes are stronger. And he said, no, because it's already strong enough. That's why the planes returned. You've got to look to see what shot them down. You're using these examples, and it's analogous here. Because I, you're using I'm these examples. Let the me ratings. finish. Let, let me finish. You're not looking outside the NBA ratings to see what else is happening in media. You're not using this is you're not correlating this. Uh, are or there some other ratings you this. want to point me to? Sure. Okay. Here's one. This, this is a group of people that are incredibly woke, right? Horse racing. Horses are the most woke species on the planet. We all know that, 
right? Horse racing is down significantly. The Triple Crown, the numbers are down 40, 50, 60% from last year because horses are the most worked beast, most woke beasts on the planet, right? Because it must You're, be politics that horse I, racing I is I know down. you want to qu- compare yourself to horse racing right now, but the big indicators they look at are, foot, are football and baseball, and they haven't taken anywhere near the hit that basketball has. Well, football's always done really well, right? What about hockey? Again, th- do you think hockey is analogous to basketball more than football hockey and baseball? Had their, hockey, ho- hockey had their finals. What about regular TV, broadcast television? You, you're trying to dodge. You're trying... No, I'm not trying why, to dodge when I'm trying, I'm trying to convey Why do you think your ratings are so low? What, I think up until the finals, I think our finals disappointed. I'll, I'll agree with that. And I don't think it has anything to do with politics. I just think we don't have the matchup and we don't have the storylines and did do a good job promoting it. But be that as it may, right? Prior to the finals, our numbers were good. All things considered, our numbers were fine in, in the, the demographic that we shoot for Remember, the only point of ratings is to help advertisers buy advertising, correct? Yes. That's why ratings exist. So within that realm, you know, we were, we were pulling, we were winning our night every single night. We, and that's despite having eight, you know, four games a day on some games and some days and even more on others, starting our games at one in the afternoon when nobody's watching, despite all that, we were winning not only in viewers, but also in terms of the 18 to 49 demographic. That's our demographic. But here's the NBA challenge in terms of media. Up until the finals, and again, I'll admit that the finals have been somewhat disappointing. Up until the finals, the only way to get an NBA game was on cable or satellite. We All of our games are on ESPN or TNT. Our core audience, our fastest growing audience is younger demographic. They cord cut. They don't have um, cable. They don't have satellite. There was just a Morning was it Morning Consult? I forget who came out that said among Gen Z and young millennials, the NBA is just behind the NFL with forty-seven to forty-nine percent of fans saying it's their most, it's their favorite sport. And so we're right there. But the problem is that our our largest growing viewership base and the one we want to be our viewership base, the youngest viewership base, Gen Z, can't watch us during our games or doesn't have regular TV to have our games. But that's right, a fundamental the problem. They can watch well, the they, finals. If they, they have broadcast, if they have they broadcast didn't. television available to them, right? And I'm not saying that's our reason for it. I'm not making an excuse. It's lower than I expect them to, uh, wanted them to be, right? But at the same time, the rest of the playoffs, we did really well. But our problem, Look, I would just suggest less, to you, I, I would just suggest. I'm telling you, you the, the I, whole, I, the whole go, the whole thing about politics is nonsense. Okay, nonsense. I mean, time will tell. Let me move on because I, I have to ask you okay. about China. The NBA okay. is under all sorts of fire for taking money from China. And sure. China, I, what I'm told is that the NBA's revenue from China is, a, is around 500 million bucks at least. So it's a lot of money that the Chinese put into basketball, into the players and endorsements and so on. And my question for you is whether the NBA needs to get more, not less vocal about this. There was some guy who sent out one tweet, he was the GM for the Houston Rockets back in October of 19, saying simply, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And all mm-hmm. hell broke loose. Uh, the, the Chinese Basketball Association suspended all cooperation with the team. The Chinese top, top state TV stopped uh, suspended airing of the games and so on. The NBA commissioner had to come out with his tail between his legs and said, we have great respect for China and its history. It's all regrettable. Then people freaked out in response to that and so on. And now people with are his tail at the between his legs, with his tail between his legs. Megan, why can't you just ask me a straight up question? Well, I'm, just, I'm trying to every, summarize it for no, our viewers, no, but, Mark. Yeah, but Megan, every single topic we've tried to discuss that I've just tried. You know, you get to come into this interview prepared with your quotes. I don't get this to come is your in industry. Prepared. Yeah, but Megan, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. I don't care what industry we're talking about. Every single topic that you brought up, there's been one pejorative aspect to it in terms of how you present the question. Look, I get Tail it. I'll, you, I'll give you the objective okay. statement from Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner. I don't I I'm just telling you people freaked out after he said this. I I take no position Who on it right out? here. Oh, a lot of people. I mean, I'll give you an example. A lot of people. So Adam Those Silver, people, let me right? give you the, people say, "Hold on. We can we hold can on. quote President Trump. People say, "Hold, hold on." Okay. Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner came out and said, "We recognize that Daryl Morey, he's he was the Rockets GM." His Maury's views, quote, have deeply offended our friends and fans in China, which is regrettable. We have great respect for the history and culture 
of China and hope that sports and the NBA can be used as a unifying force to bridge cultural divides. In response to which, many people, here's just one example, Florida Senator Rick Scott came out and said, the NBA is more interested in money than in human rights. They are kowtowing to Beijing and it's shameful. So you tell me whether the NBA needs to get more vocal in condemning what we're now seeing there, which is an ethnic cleansing of a minority Muslim group known as the Uyghurs. Uh, One million or more are being held against their will right now. Men, women and children facing torture, forced labor, physical and sex abuse, coercive population control, forced abortion, forced sterilizations. And the question remains, why won't you and the NBA explicitly condemn that? So first, what, first we pay attention. I personally, okay, let's just talk about me. I personally put a priority on domestic issues, right? When it comes to human rights, I'm against all human rights violations around the world. China including is not the, the ones only in country, China. China is not the only country with human rights violations. Right, but I'm including against, the ones in China, you're so, against their human rights violations. I'm against all human rights violations. Including, Why including we, China, Mark. Yes, including China. Any human rights violations anywhere are wrong. Okay? Okay. Now, what do we do about them? That's the problem. Right? So the first thing you do, you say, okay, there's, there's people from China trying to escape that. There's people from Turkey. There's people from Africa all trying to escape and receive asylum here in the United States. Would you agree with them? Would you agree look, with that? Look, you, what, according to I'm you. I'm asking a question. I'm asking a question. Would you your, agree that... The question, there are people who are trying to escape human rights violations around the world and gain asylum as refugees here in the United States of America. Would you agree with that? Yes, that's true. Okay. Would you agree that it's probably a good idea that we should allow more of them to come so they can escape these human rights issues? You're not going to put this back on me. This is about you. I'm not putting anything on you. I'm just asking a question. I'm China. just asking you a question. No, we're talking about no, human No, I'm explaining violence. to my audience that what's happening now is you're dodging because you're uncomfortable because the NBA will not condemn China. And it's- I behavior. just told you I'm against human rights violations everywhere, including no, no, no. China. Well, let, let's get specific. Do you condemn the genocide that's going on right now in China toward I the I condemn Uyghurs? all human rights violations. Why yes. can't you be specific? Yes, because the way proclamations work in this country, the minute you say them anywhere, you're going to use this as a headline. Cuban says this, this, and this. What's then wrong I with that headline? With, Cuban condemns because, ethnic cleansing Because I got to deal with the troll bots then. I got to deal with the troll bots. Now, what's more important to ask is what actions that I think are important to deal with these issues. You don't, you want proclamations, but you're not, when I try to talk about actions, you ignore them and say, I'm evading the question. I no, have I been told silence is violence. And my question for you okay, is, what I'm telling you why is have you been so silent is, Action on, is changed. I'm telling you, action is changed. So and I'm what are telling you, doing you about, about the, this? So what would I try to explain it to you, right? I'm working, I've been involved trying to increase the number of slots available for asylum seekers here in the United States. Right, right now, if someone were to escape any country that has human rights violations and get to this country, they can't get a job. Come on. You know why? They that's can't that's get, not wait, a response to what's happening in China. Bullshit, why would you take response. five? Why would why would the NBA take five hundred million dollars plus from a country that is engaging in ethnic cleansing? Why would so basically you're saying that no nobody should do business with China ever? Why don't you just answer my question? No, Meg, uh, Megan, I'm just trying to get to the the root of it. So why would you're the just NBA trying to do put, that? You're the one. You are the one who because said, they are a customer. They're they are a customer of ours. And guess what, Megan? I'm okay with doing business with China. You know, I wish I could solve all the world's problems, Megan. I'm sure you do too, but we can't. And so we have to pick all battles. And why you'd like to get proclamations so you can create a clip that says, look what I got Mark to say. You don't want to deal with the actual action item. You might think silence is violence, but action gets change. Right. I, and so when and I, I start I, to talk I about your action, silence, I mean, that's, so I, look, you, that's, won't let me, you, you won't let me say it. You, you uh, stopped me every no, single uh, time uh, and said I was changing the subject. Providing for asylum uh, for those seeking it does absolutely nothing to help the weak. No. Okay. Zero. So first of all, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about because there are people, you know how many people are on the waiting list for visas and asylum in China right now trying to get here, but can't more than 200,000. And you know how, you know, you know how I know that because it's not a published figure because I went to the state department and, and contributed the resources to figure it out and find out what's going on. Because when people are able to get out, we don't get them a chance to come here. Okay, and when they the are pro- able okay. to get, when they are able to get here, we don't give them a chance to work because they're not allowed to work. And so when they get here, and so they go into the underground economy. 
So all these people crying for human rights, you know, helping the people, when we find a way to help them, we stop them. We, we, don't, we don't help them. And so but don't do you, give me all the I nonsense about... I got it. I have to ask you before we go, are you going to sure. take these problems on from the executive office of the White House? Someday? No, no, I'm not going to run for president. Nope. You're not? Nope. I've never heard you rule it out so explicitly. No, I have. Yeah, I have many times. Right. Why? When uh, the only reason I considered it because I because of Donald Trump. Right. Prior to that, I was apolitical, you know, and I'll go back to being apolitical when he's hopefully out of office. Thanks for being here. All the best. I appreciate it, Megan. Well, that was interesting, right? Spirited, interesting, surprising. Listen, a couple of things. Look, he is actually right that helping asylum seekers from China, it is a good thing. It is. And they certainly can't stay where they are or go back home if they're here. But it doesn't do anything for the million people who are already in China's forced labor camps right now. And that's that's the ethical challenge of getting rich off of China's money. Also, in case, by the way, you were wondering whether those terrible ratings really were caused by the NBA going political, well, the NBA commissioner just announced that next year they will not be allowing messages on the floor or it seems on the jerseys. He said he got the message from fans who turn on the TV and, quote, just want to watch a basketball game. Right? Can't you relate to that? So good. Good for them. Uh, ratings speak. They have the ultimate power on these guys. That's that's the truth of it. Uh, and our thanks again to Mark for the, for the spicy exchange. I can't think of another team owner who would have had the guts for that conversation, right? He deserves credit for that, and we, we respect it and appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, tune in later this week for Alan Dershowitz. I'm really looking forward to that. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megyn Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.